Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome for another edition of FEPS Talks. This is Justin Hoogreden. I'm the Digital Policy Advisor here at FEPS. And I'm really thrilled because for this episode, uh, we are hosting Francesca Bria. She is the president right now of the National uh, Innovation Fund uh, of Italy. Of course, she's also honorary professor of the Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose at UCL in London. She has been, of course, the chief digital technology and innovation officer for the city of Barcelona, where she really managed to do a turnaround when it comes to the democratization of uh, digital transition. And she's also advising the UN on smart cities, digital rights. Welcome, Francesca. Hi, Justin. Real pleasure to be chatting with you. Um, for our listeners, just to give you a really quick uh, overview of what we'll be discussing uh, today in this episode. First, of course, we cannot avoid it. We'll uh, talk a little bit about Corona and how it has impacted uh, the whole discussion on big tech and digital transformation. And second, we'll talk a bit about uh, the EU agenda in this space because a lot is happening. Yeah, there's talk about regulation of online platforms, artificial intelligence, data strategies, and also a lot about industrial policy. So where should we invest in to kind of uh, get better out of this crisis and have a more democratic control of digital infrastructure? Uh, but before we go into all that, uh, Francesca, perhaps could you explain a little bit about your current position at the uh, Italia, the National Innovation Fund, and uh, what you're working on right now? Yes, absolutely. So I started my new job as president of the Italian Innovation Fund, which is a new institution for the Italian uh, productive fabric to be regenerated and to accelerate innovation in uh, our research centers, universities, to invest in startups, entrepreneurs and uh, researchers. And I think it's uh, a very exciting job at the moment. I mean, first of all, you mentioned that I used to be the city of Barcelona, uh, where I've been uh, engaging in democratizing innovation and putting technology at the service of people and uh, done a lot of work around data sovereignty. I'm sure we're uh, going to talk about that. But I was very pleased when I was called by the Italian Treasury, and that was before the pandemics, with this real uh, big mission to look at the future of Italy in a more green, democratic and digital way. And I realized during the pandemics how important it is this task at the moment, because obviously we want to be able, I mean, not only to deal with the emergency situation, but also to turn this emergency into historical opportunity to think about the future in a more just, uh, green and, uh, and with solidarity. And so this instrument can help Italy to unleash talent and to project it into a carbon-neutral and digital future. Thanks a lot for the introduction. And I think indeed that's uh, very timely uh, to come up with the fund in these times, especially after now, or still in the middle of the, the COVID crisis. Um, and let's perhaps talk a little bit about that, because indeed you've been involved for, I think, well, over a decade in arguing and working towards, uh, you know, better control, democratic control of digital technology. So the way we handle our data, the way it's amassed, the way it's used for digital type of services. Uh, of course, we've seen 
seen also a lot of, let's say, centralized control coming with the digital transformation. That's a handful of companies that really control a lot of key online platforms that we all use and we have no choice in that really. Like there's a lot of things that we have to use when we talk about social media, when we talk about online search, etc., uh, cloud storage, uh, you name it. And indeed, you also mentioned that the corona crisis kind of exacerbated uh, some of these trends. So digital transformation, uh, we now became really dependent on digital infrastructure and really is very clear right now. Right? When you're locked at home, um, you kind of realize how important it is that you're connected to the internet and that you have access to all these technologies. But of course, we've also seen some of the problems being exacerbated when we talk about uh, centralized control, market power of big tech that's been uh, increasing and increasing. Also, kind of the paradox of infrastructure that everybody has to use, but it's privately controlled. So public infrastructure, but privately controlled. I, what comes to head is uh, the discussion around apps where governments tried to use apps and they realized that actually uh, Apple and Google controlled infrastructure. They can dictate the terms on which that's being used. So I was wondering a little bit, how has the corona crisis changed the discussion around big tech? How do you see uh, the scope also for, for change? Because you mentioned that this is an opportunity. And I remember also that there were big debates, you know, after the financial crisis and it didn't really happen. So what, what makes you hopeful um, that, that we can actually uh, turn the situation around or not? Well, let me repeat something that I said, because I think it's pretty important that we uh, just don't only face this devastating impact of the crisis, but we find our strengths and our collective capacity to really lay the foundation for uh, renewing our democracies and our societies. And I think we do have to take this historical opportunity and try to plan this digital future that's carbon neutral, that's more sustainable, and that's more democratic. Obviously, these are, should not just be words. I mean, we should put these words into action. And I think a lot is happening that show us that there is a big change in this direction. And I think when it comes to Europe, it is clear to me that uh, the two main challenges that today must be addressed are the one of environmental protection and the green transition on one side and digitization on the other side. And I think that bringing together these two main challenges or let me put it this way, harness our technological sovereignty that we need to reconquer to accelerate this ecological transition is really our task. I think when I reflect upon the pandemics today, what I find really important is that, I mean, somehow it triggered the forced digitization of lots of aspects of our daily life. And I think uh, the debate around technology and even technological sovereignty uh, went far beyond, you know, a technocratic debate or a debate that is just about technology because it became immediately political and it touched upon digital infrastructures like connectivity, broadband, and data that became critical infrastructures on which essential services of society, so we're talking about work because we were all now working from home, healthcare, mm. food delivery, but also education with um, you know, many people being allowed locked out of schools and having to use this infrastructure for education. And so all these essential services depend upon this critical digital infrastructure. So somehow society uh, realized that we cannot only accelerate dig this digitization, but we need to take back democratic control and we need to give it a direction. 
to this digitization. And that's why, you know, in this period, I use a lot of the wording that, okay, Europe has to put forward its own model for what this digitization is going to look like. And we should uh, talk about a digital green deal because we need to use this digital technology for both social and environmental sustainability. But let me say that on one side, of course, it also became clear the unprecedented industrial concentration. And so the concentration of power in the hands of uh, very few companies. So if you think about it, uh, if you look at the market data uh, during the pandemics, but also post-pandemic, big tech aren't just driving the market, they are the markets. And if five companies on the planet own the digital economy, can it really work for all of us? And if for big tech, the pandemic is also a shock, but unlike all of us and unlike many other firms, it has been a positive shock because if you see um, they were the only uh, companies that kept investing and yeah. acquiring many firms, uh, the major digital players have a combined market value of around uh, uh, six trillion US dollars. I mean, we saw uh, Amazon and Apple shares uh, going up, uh, skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the data two days ago that made me really think because the U.S. tech shares now are more valuable than the entire European stock market. And I think this is the first time in history. Yeah. So if I see, of course, this concentration of power, and then we will also talk about the other challenges. One is the geopolitical challenge and questions around digital trade and taxation and mm -hmm. antitrust. <laughs> and then, you know, what, how do we respond then obviously, yeah. I mean, here we have to really think about a new, new political uh, tools, uh, new political frameworks and new political actions. And repeating the word political, because I think that to face this transformation, a technocratic approach uh, following the same uh, business as usual, uh, mm -hmm. let's say, playbook, it's not going to work. And also, let me just comment on the question of the Orwellian big tech or big state control during the pandemic. I think that during the pandemic, yeah. we really had this to combine on one side the question of public health. And so giving uh, our public health, national health authority, the capacity to act in a very quick way to promptly track and trace uh, the virus, to contain the virus, and then to, to try to basically limit the spreading of the virus. But also, you know, on the ground, be, being able to understand the healthcare data, to share it, uh, to understand also all kinds of different other data, environmental, employment mm -hmm. data, to look at the impact of ability patterns, help react to the crisis in a very effective way, but on the other side, we really wanted to put at the center our kind of democratic model and say, we can be effective and we can take care about public health care using data, using technology, also using the contact tracing applications, but really preserving European citizens' privacy and their fundamental rights and their data protection. So can we use technology and data in an effective way also to mobilize, you know, very rapidly to contain the virus, but at the same time preserving our uh, data protection, our security, and our trust towards technology. I yeah. think we actually succeeded in a sense in Europe to do that. Because although you said, well, we're using a contact tracing application, 
actually mm-hmm. is in, interoperable. And I think at the end, we ended up with some of the best models there where we really followed the, our privacy, enhancing technology and cryptographic experts were all based in Europe, uh, coming out of our research centers and universities. And mm-hmm. companies like Apple and Google asked their advice and copied their protocols and followed their leads in creating a contact tracing application that's actually really privacy preserving and at mm-hmm. the same time give our national authorities the capacity to use it uh, as a complementary, of course, to all the activities they are doing on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think this was a victory. But at the same time, of course, we realized that, okay, there are these two companies that are controlling the operating systems of all billions of funds in the world and they can dictate the terms of use. Yes. And they can also dictate some of the, you know, bigger policy framework in the long run. And this is an oligopo- oligopolistic situation that, I mean, coming back to my previous point about the concentration of industrial power, which is uh, unprecedented in history. Of course, we're going to have to confront it, in particular when we're talking about healthcare, education, mm-hmm. uh, mobility, our welfare services, our basic essential services in society. So, yeah. yes, we are also discovering our very strong dependence on these giants and on the infrastructures that they are owning and controlling. And so that's, that then would bring me to, well, to the central question, which is how, how do we effectively confront that power and how, how do we kind of democratize that? I mean, I know of course that you did great work uh, when you still worked for the uh, municipality of Barcelona, uh, which is kind of a bottom up approach. Um, but like, what kind of policy actions can we take at European level? You mentioned the digital green deal. What would be a key element? And I'm really asking this because, um, A, I'm guilty of kind of the technocratic approach you described, like this tinkering <laughs> in the margin. I mean, I work for the European Commission. That's, uh, you know, that, that's what excites me. Uh, but it's perhaps not uh, the most impactful in the long run. And it's perhaps not what we need right now. You know, after 20 years of digital transformation, well, longer, but, but let's say the, since the smartphone, uh, you know, we haven't been that effective in with our policies so far. So we need yeah. something else. What is that? Because like politicians are really, when you ask them also from the progressive side, it's often, oh, we need digital skills and education hmm. or competition. Yeah. Uh, let me first give you the kind of like really super high level big picture, but okay. then about what I think the vision should be. And then we can mm-hmm. go into the details because I think actually they should be unpacked. And I also want to go back go back to the transform scenario because I think the geopolitical situation really uh, forces us to see things differently at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think the point and also the frustration with the kind of digital future that we're always presenting with is that it's very binary. So either we're going to have the kind of big state, the China's top-down or Villian model uh, that also during the pandemic has been quite effective, but that could severely limit our constitutional rights. And so this is presented as one possible model. And then the other model is what we've been discussing uh, until now, which is the big tech Silicon Valley surveillance capitalism that plays a lot of trust in the capacity of big tech to solve all the problems. But then in the long term, it can create a big uh, data monopolies that run, you know, healthcare, education, insurance, mobility, and so on. And these also can have detrimental effects in our democracy. So I think that basically we shouldn't resign that this are the two only options but we need to put forward this third way between the big state the big tech and this u.s china tech wall 
Mm-hmm. And this uh, third way is what I've been calling uh, big democ, and it should be like the European model of digital sovereignty that I think should be about democratization of data, citizens' participation, and technology that should put at the service of society and the ecological transition. Uh, So this is, um, I think, the the high-level vision because otherwise, and and you know how much I care that digital sovereignty should be really regained as people. And not just, it is not just the question of the state regaining digital sovereignty, but I see it as a kind of rights-based approach that comes from a bottom-up democratic participation of citizens. And if we don't do that, I think that, yes, we could see a future where Europe becomes a sort of digital colony that is trapped between Beijing and Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how do we make this kind of digital uh, European uh, technological or digital humanism something concrete? And I think here we have to be confronted with our big challenges because I think that the geopolitical dimension, for example, uh, I mean, also the commission now stresses very much on this kind of new geopolitical dimension. And I mean, the context is of growing geopolitical multipolarity. Right. And at the moment, we see this tech cold war between uh, the US and China, where I think that European leadership is increasingly important because otherwise we are going to see a war for uh, this technological supremacy with the race of like um, to control 5G, quantum computing, next generation chips and artificial intelligence that is really creating a global technology industry split. So how, what, what, how, how do we face this situation? I mean, this is a situation where we have technological nationalism, which mm-hmm. is emerging. And I think actually we can predict the artificial intelligence arm race probably very soon. And we're also seeing that governments are doing something uh, new. I mean, at least the U.S. government and China. Uh, we haven't seen for a long time like tech bans, uh, sanctions in the technology space. Uh, attacks on the global chip supply chains. And in retaliation to that, the uh, Chinese uh, government is now uh, putting export controls and new rules for strategic technologies, Mm -hmm. such as biotech and artificial intelligence. And I mean, this is also something that we're starting to do in Europe, where, uh, you know, both the Foreign Trade Act in Germany, but also the white paper proposed by by, um, Margaret Vestager, uh, Mm -hmm. has, you know, some control over hostile takeover of strategic European industries. And basically, I think that for Europe in this uh, particular moment, it's absolutely important to see how we can capture the value I mean, how we can um, stay competitive in the strategic value chains of the future, which aligns also with this, um, you know, climate new, being climate neutral by 2050. And so mm-hmm. Europe has this, for instance, uh, um, you know, electric batteries, renewable yes. energy equipment, hydrogen fuel technologies. And there, you know, we are also suffering from critical raw material shortages because we are very dependent on imports yeah. which can, as can, you I, can know, I ask I mean, one follow-up is, question yes. here? yeah yeah because yes. for me this is indeed the key point but you raised this is super important and you know i i fully agree right you see initiatives in the us when it comes to chips all about tech trade war etc it's coming um 
So what should we do? Because I have the feeling that some of the stuff in Europe that's been coming forward, eh, some control on foreign takeovers, but it's it's not really strong, mm-hmm. right? It's all not binding. Mm-hmm. It's kind of consultation, etc. What should we do? Should we invest in our own technologies? Should we create some kind of exactly. EU cloud infrastructure? So I w- or? Exactly. So I was going to get yeah. there because, okay. I mean, first of all, I think that in these uh, critical value chains of the future, and this is a debate which is very present in the kind of industrial policy framework, mm-hmm. uh, Europe must be uh, have a plan to reshore in these critical value chains okay. because we need to create uh, European capabilities, but also get back well-paid jobs because mm-hmm. we want to create you know, green jobs that are well-paid and decent for, uh, for, for our population. But at the same time, we also don't have these companies that can compete in the platform-driven digitization. I mean, re- really, if you look at hardware, software, and critical data flows, mm-hmm. all the infrastructures are built outside the European Union. So this is a big risk when it comes to growth in the long term, but also employment and our even influence when it comes to European regulatory power. So I think that that's the industrial challenge that we're facing because Europe cannot be anymore only this regulatory superpower. I think also because, you know, we see that this is uh, bypassed by, you know, very strong actions (laughs) that, um, for instance, the U.S. and uh, China are taking when it comes to international trade and so on. But also because I think we want to compete on the basis of technological innovation and Mm -hmm. good jobs rather than just regulation. And so I think that there is where uh, we need this coordinated project of a new industrial strategy at a European level. And you know that this is not very easy because we are still very national based when it comes to industrial strategy. So we are going to have to create capabilities that are real European. And I would like Mm -hmm. to talk maybe a little bit more uh, beyond the funding what this means. And then, of course, a a coordinated investment program. And I think this has to go, I mean, when we are talking about the recovery fund, which, of course, should be aligned with Europe Green Deal and the digital strategy, Mm -hmm. I imagine lots of investment going into the European innovation ecosystem. So also critical technology, as you said, like 5G, uh, the pan-European cloud computing, Gaia-X, which also Mm -hmm. will allow for a layer of interoperability uh, regarding data. So data interoperability and data portability, which Mm -hmm. will also probably enable us to get back some sovereignty over our data. And then artificial intelligence, next generation chips, because this is where... uh, uh, the real fight is now who is controlling the chips on mm-hmm. with, on top of which artificial intelligence will um, will work and then quantum computing research and and also we have to be aware that this is all powering these environmentally friendly technologies that we need to decarbonize the economy so i insist that this digital and green uh, industrial strategies have to be very, very lean. And I mean, here I think we can discuss two things. I mean, as you know, I'm absolutely convinced uh, about the, that when we are talking about critical digital infrastructure, which should start from data, and we should start from reconquering back the data sovereignty of our citizens of cities and industries around Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to uh, contribute, and I think the German uh, presidency of the European Union could uh, make us do um, a step forward in okay. creating this Europe-wide data space with new governance models such as the European Data Trust, 
So when you said uh, like my work that I've been doing in Barcelona, as you know, I tried to create a program where I basically, where data is seen as a critical infrastructure, like electricity, like water, and Mm -hmm. become a public good that is owned by citizens and is mobilized to solve our environmental and social challenges because data has a very important public value uh, if we want to solve climate change, sustainable mobility, affordable housing, healthcare, and education. And Mm -hmm. so we can declare, I mean, data as a common good, as a public infrastructure, and then develop decentralized privacy enhancing technologies that can shift the control of data to European citizens. I think this is something that can be scaled and okay. should be scaled uh, because it's not only at a city level that can work. I mean, now we started in Barcelona in cooperation with Amsterdam, but now mm-hmm. there are many mm-hmm. cities that are collaborating in uh, having this kind of approach. Uh, but you can scale it at a European level with the European Data Trust. First of all, you need this governance model. So the governance model is about the data trust. And then you enforce these standards about data interoperability and privacy, uh, I mean, and and cryptographic standards into the Gaia-X cloud infrastructure. Basically, you know, Gaia-X is a first um, infrastructure and it doesn't have to be only centralized. It can also be uh, integrated with more decentralized types of infrastructure using blockchains or using distributed ledger technology or strong cryptography and enable for reconquering the governance of data in, in the healthcare sector, our environmental data that we need to uh, enforce these uh, environmentally friendly policies and you know mobility data. So you can start building a lot of applications. Yeah. So this so, can sorry, be sorry for sounding, for yeah. sounding ignorant, but uh, just also for our listeners. So how, how could yeah. this, for instance, work at the European level? So is it, are we talking, for example, about some kind of publicly owned type of company that kind of like governs this data in a specific field, say pharmaceutical? Yes. So so there there are different ways to look at this. I think uh, we probably need these new uh, forms of uh, pan-European companies uh, that have to, I mean, also at the moment, Gaia X has created a kind of foundation, but I still think that things are too dispersed. So we have a foundation that's managing Gaia-X, then we have the European Innovation Council, then we have some different agencies, then we have a lot of national agencies. I think that at this point, it will be very interesting to create actually a pan-European company that could really push forward this model of digitization, of sustainable digitization in Europe and work a lot on the on the creation of a Europe-wide data space. I think that you can have a mix. Uh, there are um, part of the infrastructures that I think can be public and should be public. I mean, at the moment, we have also a very big debate in Italy because we are um, the, the government um, and actually through the uh, GDP, which is Casa Depositi Presi, is like the German KFW, is getting much more stakes into the uh, public fiber, broadband fiber. So kind of criticizing how privatization was done in the past and considering this a critical infrastructure that should have democratic governance because connectivity is absolutely critical to the development of digitization in Europe. So part of the broadband infrastructure could be seen as a public infrastructure. And I think data can be seen as a public infrastructure. But that doesn't mean on top of that data, you want to create competition. 
because you know you you need to open up this data i mean while once you have protected and you secure um you know a, a governance model and also you secure privacy and uh, information self determination and data um and and i mean and data security for citizens you want to open it up to create public value and also innovation so you need to open it up to european startups to um you know to public agencies to cities to entrepreneurs to european citizens to create these ai driven and data driven services in healthcare in education in mobility uh mm-hmm. to really innovate europe so there is going to be a mix you know of public private uh and i think also big companies should do their part of course i mean when it is about managing large scale critical infrastructures we need big uh public or private enterprises in europe to do their part so we need a combination of you know democratic uh, control and mm-hmm. also public governance of specific parts of the infrastructure that could be data or could be broadband or could be parts of 5G i mean mm-hmm. i think this is a debate that's on the table but then you want to to have a lot of competition on top you know at the level of the services because we you know we do not want to mimic this model of you know just um monopolies that are governing um the data space so i think it could be much more decentralized and we can we can have um competition and we should have competition at the level of services and then of course you can ask me the question of how do we enforce that i mean um in barcelona for instance we worked a lot at the level of public procurement So yeah. we put data uh, sovereignty clauses in public procurement where you can also put you know data portability standards interoperability standards open source technology standards so you mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can integrate lots of these clauses and also uh the standards that are going to come out of Gaia X because if you want that european um, you know public administration but also companies are going to adopt this technology you are going to have to enforce standards and probably starting from public procurement would be a very good thing and then um and then you can also uh um enforce regulation on the big platforms as this was a debate also in germany or in france for public mm-hmm. interest data so the, this data has to be shared when it is public interest data it has to be shared uh with a uh, public institution so you cannot have you know data monopolies of public interest data because this data needs to be mobilized to solve our fundamental challenges being healthcare or education or mobility mm-hmm. and so, so if i can I reformulate it yeah. a lot a lot of sense for instance in the city space where you know you need yeah. to create this kind of data trust that can be shared across city with democratic control with privacy enhancement and cryptography and then you know leverage and mobilize this data to to tackle the real um environmental and social problems a whole spectrum of actions that we need to take but if i can just reformulate so one of the key things would be to really look at some key functions that are now being performed and owned by platforms private platforms and kind of bring them in some kind of pan european companies with a public mission publicly funded on the basis of which other companies can innovate and compete but the, but the crucial infrastructure and somehow needs to be publicly owned i think that yeah. could be a fantastic idea to experiment at the pan european level and i think now we see some efforts again only at a national uh level a lot mm-hmm. in germany and france and italy is doing its part and so on but mm-hmm. i think bringing that at a real european level strengthening institutions like for instance the european innovation council 
or mm-hmm. inventing a new, as you said, European public company or a company with a public mission should be mm-hmm. absolutely um, um, something to, to, to do. Yes. And then um, let me say that basically yeah. uh, when it comes to data, of course, uh, European governments should start enforcing those rules that we're very proud of, like, you know, the GDPR for sure. how mm-hmm. their privacy conscious citizen data is handled, because we really want to avoid um, that this data continue to be used to spy on, monitor and manipulate the behavior of citizens. And I think, I mean, we should uh, take this uh, problem um, very seriously. I mean, not only because we've seen manipulation of data during elections, but also because I think this is at the very basic of the democratic challenge that we're facing. I mean, many people uh, really see the foundations of democracy and public space being undermined at the very Mm -hmm. root by a new form of algorithmic power that is um, kind of gradually replacing the Habermasia public sphere, which is managed by these big big digital giants that are enriching themselves with our data. And I think that uh, uh, today we see a lot of discontent because, um, uh, you know, we have a growing uh, uh, exponential growth of fake news, conspiracy theory, hate speech, racist attack online. And also we see an unequal digital society where power goes to those that already have it. And this mm-hmm. is fueled also a lot of popular discontent with the elites, uh, giving rise to this kind of populism. I mean, conspiracy theories of all counts, kinds online, and also this existential fear that people have of manipulation, information overload, inauthenticity of information. And this is created by the externalities that these digital giants are creating that they Mm -hmm. cannot handle alone. I mean, they are unable to handle all these responsibilities that come with all the power they have. So it is clear to me that this is a democratic challenge and must be, um, you know, very central to our democratic life. This means it's we fully a, it's agree. A core political problem. Yeah, fully agree, Francesca. And I think that's that. That's been one of the key uh, problems that we had, right? That we look at this solely through like a market lens, whereas actually, of course, this is just fundamental infrastructure that affects all aspects of our lives. Um, I really think that um, I will um, I will have to kind of like slowly conclude on this one uh, because it was a really interesting conversation. I think we talked on, covered a lot of topics. And I'm also uh, really excited to host you again on the 5th of September, where I'm sure we have an interesting continuation of this discussion on industrial policy in the digital age. Uh, Francesca, thanks a lot for coming, uh, for coming here uh, to the FabTalks uh, Talks episode. One final question. Um, yeah. What kind of book, what, what's the favorite book that you read, that you read uh, recently and that you would recommend to the audience uh, on these topics? Uh, well, I mean, we, we talk a lot, of course, about the surveillance capitalism. So I can say you can read Shoshana Zuba's book. I mean, she's a friend of mine. If you yeah. haven't read it, uh, read uh-huh. it. I'm also reading a very interesting book now, which is The Trade Wars Are Class Wars ah, yes. uh, from Klein and Pettis, which I think is very interesting because it's connecting lots of different issues, also politicizing trade and show the kind of imbalances of the current um, situation and uh, uh, geopolitical situation, but bring it back to our collective fights, you know, for uh, mm-hmm. better jobs and also for solidarity. I think, I think now we really have the need uh, 
to not retreat back to a kind of Cold War mentality, but to propose a kind of interconnected uh, vision of a society that, that has solidarity that it's uh, about you know improving uh, the planet <laughs> and so the environmental standards is about people and it's about workers rights and democratic rights and so I think that that's also a, a, an interesting book uh, on this kind of um, broad broad uh, issues okay trade wars are class wars and surveillance capitalism uh, dear listeners take notes <laughs> Uh, Francesca, thanks a lot. Um, and uh, looking forward to continuing discussion on the 5th for the Reset Conference. It's organized by FEPS, uh, the Dutch Social Democrats, B van de A, uh, the Party of European Socialists, and the Viadi Beckman Stichting. Uh, we have a session on a fair digital society and economy starting at 11.15 to 12.15 in the morning. Uh, hosting again Francesca Bria, of course. Also, Andrea Renda will be there. We have with us a uh, member of European Parliament, uh, Mia Petra Kukula-Natri. And we have an introduction statement by uh, author Evgeny Molotov, whom you might know from uh, publications such as uh, To Save Everything, Click Here. So really looking forward to that. And thanks again. Thanks. Look forward to the conference. Excellent. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.